Okay, good evening everyone. Today is the ninth day of Tavis. And we're going to conclude tonight chapter one, which is actually a very exciting phenomena. As, please, go ahead. Isn't tonight's start the fast of the Galia? Thank you. T tonight actually is the night prior to the fast of the 10th of Tavis, Sasarba Tavis. The fast of Gedalia is the 3rd of Tishrei, but yes, tomorrow is a fast day starting 6.12 a.m. Um, the fast will start, so you could eat until 6.12, past 6.12 until about 5 um, something. Go ahead. 6.12? I think it's down the street, it's 637 to 512, I think. Uh, so to the best of my knowledge, it's 612. Uh, you know, there could be a difference of opinion. Maybe they're on a different line. <laughs> the, uh, the, the question that was texted out for today is, what makes a doctor truly happy? When should a therapist be truly happy? So I'm going to leave the doctor out for a momentarily. Um, Yeshua, what should make a doctor truly happy? Uh, well, I didn't study up on this, but I think what should make a doctor truly happy is helping other people uh, be well. Helping other, other people be well. Yep. Okay, good answer. Basha, what should make a doctor truly happy? Uh, patients who appreciate his work. Patients who appreciate his work. Yosef. Can, can cure diseases. Cure diseases? Yeah. Okay, let's turn to the doctor. Doctor, what, what, should, what makes you happy? <laughs> Aside for a good, good supper. Doing a good job would make you happy. Tonight at the end of the class, I hope to give you a new understanding of what the doctor should, should think, but really what, what each and every one of us in, us in our own lives should think and understand. I'd like to start off tonight's class with a controversial topic, um, but it's something that we have to face. And that is, what is the difference between a Jew and a non-Jew? Simple question, easy question. Um, what is the difference between a Jew and a non-Jew? Liz. <clears throat> Okay, three points. You're mentioning, first of all, that a Jew has a soul. Second of all, that a Jew... What was point number two? Um, chosen. Chosen. And third of all, that they put God in the family first. Okay, interesting three points. Um, Gershon, what, what's the difference between a Jew and a non-Jew? 
Um, well, it's kind of like what Liz was saying, but I, th I think the Jew's a Jew's focus is exactly is on is on God on community. Um, and I don't like to generalize because the truth is I know non-Jews who I think are are action oriented also. But I think as a rule, um, uh, Jewish to be close to Hashem in Judaism, you act, you actually have to do things mitzvot, and I, I I don't know that that's true in with other people. Okay, fair enough. Does anyone want to add anything before we continue? Good evening, Tony. Does anyone else want to add anything? Please. Our, our heritage, we have been Jewish all the way back. Okay, so you're saying our heritage, our DNA. Fantastic. Tony, you want to share something? I was going to say mitzvah for the sake of mitzvah. Mitzvah for the sake of mitzvah, no ulterior motive. Yes. I'm sorry. My understanding is that the Torah was offered to the Midrash tells us every nation was, uh, was offered the Torah. Very good. I'd like to share with you, is a, what is a good human being? Is a Jew the definition of the ultimate human being or not? By raise of hand, without any question. Again, is the ultimate human being a Jew? Or is there a human being which we're a part of? And then we have something unique to us, with, to us, which is to be a Jew. By raise of hand, if you think... You mean ultimate or unique? I guess. Let me repeat the question. There is the idea of a human being. Is the ultimate human being a Jew? Yes or no? Well, does it mean that every Jew is the ultimate human being? Okay let, me okay, okay, let me rephrase the question. Let me rephrase the question. Fair enough. Is, in order to be a good person, do you need to be a Jew? Let me put in those words. Yes or no? Dr. Yosef adamantly disagrees. Very good. Dr. Yosef is about to walk out. I'm okay, no, I'm kidding. Dr. Yosef, it's his fault. Today I'm going to pick on him with permission. Do I have your permission? Even without your permission, unfortunately. I'm still going to for a second. Dr. Yosef, his name, I'm sure, way, way back, goes to Joseph. Goes, I'm getting confused. Yaakov, I'm not going to pick on you. Canceled. Anyone here named Yaakov? No, okay. So I won't be picking on anyone right now. Yaakov, Jacob had how many wives? Four wives. The Torah tells us you're not allowed to marry two sisters. One of the 613 commandments is do not marry two sisters. It's, a, it's an abomination. It's disgusting, the Torah says. You're going to have two sisters having a fight. Jacob married two sisters. Not only did Jacob marry two sisters, the Midrash tells us that Jacob married four sisters. Right? Jacob had four wives. So far, if you're familiar that Jacob had four wives, just nod your head. Is that, that familiar? The two maidens, the servants. The two maidens. The Midrash tells us those two maidens were from a concubine of Lava. Oh, so. I didn't know that. So that means Jacob married four half-sisters. Yeah. So he transgressed. We'll soon see that. We can't say Jacob transgressed. We'll have to understand that. But seemingly he transgressed. He, he, he went over this transgression of not marrying a sister three times. 
And he, he's our patriarch. He is the pride of the Jewish people. From all of the three forefathers, we say the choice, the, the best, what that means for, we'll leave for another time, but the best is Jacob, the ultimate human being, the ultimate Jew is Jacob. And yet, clear out, he transgressed three times. Not once, not twice, three times he transgressed the prohibition of marrying, three, of marrying a sister. How could that be? But they still follow me. I know, I know, but I should have I'm sure there's more than one answer. Then I'll probably be sharing that. No, because I know uh, Yosef, he sent people to Egypt ahead of time to set up Yeshivot. Right. Or Yaakov did. Maybe it was Yosef. No, Yaakov. It was Yaakov. So there were, you know, uh, Yeshivot even in Egypt, but the Torah wasn't given yet. No, so, so you're right. He didn't sin, certainly, because the Torah wasn't given. But for who he was, being our forefather, being that he's a patriarch, he known. not he should have known, he knew. That we're sure about, he knew. Jacob learned Torah for 22 years in a yeshiva with the greatest Torah scholars. He was the greatest Torah scholar ever. <coughs> He knew this. How could he marry three sisters? The Torah was not given, but it existed. The Torah was written 2,000 years prior to the creation of, world, of the world. So the Torah existed, but it was not given to the Jewish people as a command. Wasn't also the land wasn't ours yet? The land of Israel was not ours yet? By marrying two sisters, marrying a sister doesn't only exist in Israel; it exists anywhere in Oregon, Portland, Oregon. You're not allowed to marry two sisters. <laughs> in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. A fantastic, amazing thought. There is being a human and then there is an addition to be a Jew human beings are not allowed to lie to each other <coughs> a human being yeah. does not lie to his fellow friend okay. is that one of the seven Noahide laws not to lie? Yeah. no <coughs> it's not one of the seven the seven are not to kill not to steal not to, not to commit adultery not to eat a live animal to have a court of law to have police one of the seven is not to lie so how can I tell you? Sorry, go ahead. No, never mind, never mind. I was thinking something else. Okay. So how can I tell you that to be a liar is transgressing the Torah, is transgressing the laws of humanity? So let's look at this story of Jacob. If you're familiar, Jacob wanted to marry which one of, the, which one of his daughters? Rachel. Lavan went ahead and had him marry... Leah. So Jacob goes and he turns to Lavan and he said, This is not done. You can't do this. You can't trick me. Why can't Lavan trick him? What's wrong? What's wrong with tricking him? So Yaakov says, He says, This is not the accepted custom. That means anything that humanity has accepted as a practice is one of the laws 
of a human being. Okay. So not to lie is a law of a human being. Keeping a promise, similarly, is a law of a human being. So now, let's look at the facts. Jacob knew that he needs to keep the Torah, but he knew at the time, he was realistic, he said, at this moment in my life, I was not commanded to keep the Torah. At this moment in my life, what I, what I need to do is first be a human being. Then I need to keep the Torah. A human being has to keep its promise. I guaranteed Rachel I would marry her. Her father unfortunately tricked me. It's not her problem, it's my problem. I need to fulfill my promise and marry her. The Torah says not to marry two sisters. Okay, but at the time, the commandment that was most imposing on him was a commandment of being a human being. Remember, the Torah at the time was not a command to him. In other words, today... What is more important to follow the Torah to keep your command? To keep the Torah. We've been commanded not to marry two sisters. So if you, if you make a promise to two sisters you're, you'll marry, marry them, that has, no, that has no power today. But if we didn't have the Torah, which Yaakov Avinu wasn't commanded in the Torah, so what takes precedence to fulfill what you've promised? Or what the Torah says, so fulfill what you promised. His promise was to marry Rachel, and therefore he had, the pro, he had the obligation to go ahead and marry two sisters against what the Torah would tell us a thousand years later. Any questions? Was it the concept of a get at the time? No. No. So, uh, once you were involved in a marriage, you could not get out. On the contrary. It was easy to, get, to marry, and the, 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 it was very easy to divorce. So why didn't he take that route? Because that's also against humanity. Just to divorce a lady for no reason is against, is against, human, is against the human bylaws, is against the human uh, protocol. The same... Di- um, well, <laughs> I think if you, if you believe you're marrying one person and you end up marrying another, that's far enough against human protocol. <laughs> you have the right to, to uh, try, to, to try to correct that. I fully agree with you. The Talmud agrees with you. Absolutely. Okay. If, you're, if you're tricked into a marriage, the marriage has no saying. Not only that, very important that we don't lie to people about a prospective match because if you lie, if someone marries, if, if someone marries a person and the next morning they find out that the person has a real flaw that they weren't told, then the marriage could be nullified. That means... The whole marriage didn't take place because the person thought he's marrying one person. He finds out that's not who he married. So yes, I agree with your point. I'd rather not go to that, okay. that area tonight. But the point that I wanted to clarify clearly is that there is a human being. There is what's demanded of us just because we are humans. And then there is an additional point of being a Jew. So if you go and say that the only good people, that, that, only, that, that to be good you have to be a Jew, it's nonsense. A good person is a human being that keeps the seven Ohad laws. A good person is a Jew that keeps the, that keeps the 613 commandments. So good and Jew are not synonymous. Yes, they are. We hope that we, we'd like to say, think that every Jew is good. But good is not owned by Jews. Good, a Jew could be good and a non-Jew could be good, good equally. So the definition, the separation is certainly not good and not, not good. What about, what about serving God? 
Is that something that differentiates a Jew and a non-Jew? Again, by raise of hand. Is serving God something that is unique to Jewish people? Yes? Or just keep your hand down if you think that Jewish people are commanded to serve God and non-Jewish people are commanded to serve God. If you have your hand down, that means every single person here agrees that non-Jews and Jews equally have a mission to serve God. Is that correct? Yeah. No, you, changed, you changed the question. I did? I think so, yeah. Is that I, don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily equal. No, I didn't say, no, I meant equally that we each have a, we each have a service of God. But well, you just said because non-Jews have to follow the seven Noahide laws, right? That's a requirement, but does that mean that, that, they're, that they're created in order to serve God? We know Jews know that we specifically have to help them make the world a place for God and share. And we know we're partners. I don't know if other, you know, maybe according to the other religion, they're the helpers of God and we're not. I don't know. I, I got your point completely. I'd like to share with you Tractate Kiddushin, the Tractate that talks about the three methods that a man can marry a woman. Page 82b, it says as follows. Let me quote it. Fascinating. It was taught, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar said, In my whole lifetime, I have never seen a deer engaged in gathering fruits. I never went to a farm and saw them hire a deer to gather fruits together. A lion carrying burdens. You'll never see someone pulling a lion carrying anything on it. A fox as a shoekeeper. You'll never go to you won't go to Hillsdale by the shoekeeper and find a fox owning the store. Yet they are sustained without trouble. Though they were created only to serve me. Whereas I was created to serve my maker. Animals, we're allowed to eat animals. Human beings, the Torah says, you're allowed to eat animals. Why? Because by a human eating it, you've taken it from the level of an animal to the level of a human. Right. We've elevated it. Right. Animals were created as a tool for a human. Right? We could use them to go from place A to place B. They could help us plow in the field. We could get milk from them. Now, if these who were created only to serve me are sustained without trouble, how much more so should I be sustained without trouble? I who was created to serve my maker. If a cow doesn't have to work to get his sustenance, a fox doesn't have to work, a lion and Hashem gives them what they need, all of a sudden we... The people that these items were created for, we have to work hard? We, we, we're the people that were starving to death? You have people that don't have food to eat? On, this doesn't make sense. S says Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, It is because I've acted evilly and destroyed my livelihood. As it is said, your iniquities have turned away these things. Mm. Tractate 82b, Kiddush. Fascinating piece of the Talmud. Comes along the commentators and they say 
Anini vresi l'shamish eskoini. By raise of hand, anyone ever heard these words? Anini vresi l'shamish eskoini. Okay, I'll just share with you these words. Ani, I nivresi was created l'shamish to serve eskoini, my creator. These are famous words. When I say famous, these are words that oftentimes, if you go to a lecture, they'll tell you, Anini vresi l'shamish eskoini. We were created to serve God. There's two versions in, in the Talmud exactly how to pronounce this, how to say it. But the bottom line is, this line, that I was, created to serve my, I was created to serve my master, my creator, I was created to serve God, is talking about a Jew and a non-Jew. So it is crystal clear that the difference between Jew and non-Jew is not in the need to serve God. So we've established the difference between Jew and non-Jew is not in um, whether they are good people. We've established the difference between Jew and non-Jew is not in whether or not they serve God. <clears throat> what about in the world to come? Heaven. Is that something that only exists for Jews? Or does it exist equal, equally for non-Jews? By raise of hand. If you think heaven is for a Jew and a non-Jew, please raise your hand. Okay, I'm not even going to continue. Oh, I will. Uh, sorry. What's no, your thoughts, Shalona? I have no idea. I will tell you. I'll raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I just was like uh, contemplating it. It's, I get too into it. Don't take any peer pressure. It's fine. Is the world to come, is heaven for a Jew or is heaven for equally for a non-Jew? This is a famous question. Any of you ever dealt with this question? No? It says in Turkey What does it say? I think they're. Well, uh, I think. No, I mean, I'm just curious. I'm not sure what you're referring to. No worries. Do I know where it is? No, no, I'm just curious. What, what does it say? That, th that they have a portion of the world to come? I think so. Fantastic. So, so like please. All nations have a portion of the world to come, something like that. Rabbi Hanani Barak. I thought they, they have their own thing, but it's not as good as ours. It's different from ours, but they still have their own thing. So Their own heaven or their own role there, but it's not okay. the same as ours. Uh, I hear. You're saying there's a difference in, in, the actual, in the reality of it. Yeah. How many of you here, and I'm, I'm going to put myself in this equation, I can tell you firsthand, I am here due to a man named, I'll probably pronounce his name wrong, um, I'll just say his last name, Sugihara, is that his last name? A man who saved many, many Jewish people. Um, he, he issued passports to allow them to go to, to Japan. Uh, yes, he helped, my, he helped my grandfather and I'm here due to his credit. Um, how many people here um, had to run away their ancestors had to run away from the Holocaust and uh, some non-Jew helped them out. I don't know about that. What, what happened? Uh, my grandfather uh, was from Kalashina, Poland. And he was actually in the army. Um, and uh, he was shot and he had to send to Russia to some hospital. And the, and the, well, the nurses took him home. But, uh, she, and she, uh, she brought him back to life. She, she yeah, sustained him. Yeah, and yeah. his entire family. Yeah. We we know a young man in Seattle, and his grandfather was fleeing the Nazis, and he ended up in Hungary. I think he was Polish, and um, 
a Hungarian Gentile took him in and was a doctor and he passed away. So this young man's grandfather, in honor of this guy, took his last name. Hmm. So the family has this very Italian... Interesting. Name, very interesting. Very Jewish. Today there are many Jews that owe, owe their life to the efforts of a non-Jew during, during the Holocaust. Yeah. And for us to go and say that those people don't have a portion of the world to come is a very drastic thing. Yeah. So what is the truth? And let me just read it the way it is from Maimonides chapter 8, paragraph 11. He says the following. Kol hamikabel sheva mitzvois. Any human being that accepts the seven Noahide laws. Very, again, very simple. And he guards them. That means he makes sure to keep the seven Noahide laws. This person is an outstanding person. He's a chassid of the Umay Sa'ilam. He is someone that goes beyond the letter of the law, yet he's a Gentile. Continues the Rambam. The Yesh Loi Chelek Loilam Hava. He has a portion in the world to come. A non Jew that keeps the seven Ohide laws, he certainly has a portion in the world to come. But let me, let me um, continue with the clause that exists, and that is the who. This is on condition that the non-Jew does the seven Ohad laws because God has commanded them and as the Rambam goes on to enumerate not because he thinks that they're brilliant. So that means according to what the Rambam is saying here if the UN comes out and, and which they have and supports the seven Ohad laws and someone does them because they think that these are the most logical and brilliant um, um, laws that will keep peace within humanity so the Rambam says that itself is not a cause for heaven. Is if, if the Rambam says to to be um, to be someone who's called a chassid, a pious man from the Gentiles, someone who does them because God has commanded us. Yes. Does anyone want to answer the question? When were the seven Ohad laws given? In the in the Torah, it's written in the Torah. Okay. So it came down with Moshe Rabbeinu? So the seven Noahide laws are called because they were... But, but the reason I didn't answer right away is because they, they were given over time. No, no, no. Oh, please, please. It's, a, it's actually a very good question. It's a, there's a, there's a, it's a good question. Don't. So... Let's, let's go back now. You can't, we can't say that a Jew, the difference between a Jew and a non-Jew is being good, serving God, or having a portion of the world to come. <clears throat> so what is the difference between a Jew and a non-Jew? Rabbi Shusterman, Rabbi in Chicago, Illinois. He passed away about 15 years ago. He had this man 
who was deathly sick come to him? I'm, actually, I jumped, I jumped about 20 years right there. He has a man come to him and say, I want to convert. Rabbi Shustman says, why do you want to convert? Remember, we just learned together, fellow friends, that it's easier to be a non-Jew and have, and, and have a portion of the world to come. All you need to do, the Rambam says, we establish you could be a good person, we establish you could serve God, and we establish you have a portion of the world to come. And that is why the Torah says that we're not looking for converts. Exactly for this reason. Remember, Jews are not missionaries. Right, right for, for precisely this reason. If we said that a Jew is the only type of person and everyone else is an animal, so then, of course, we, we want there to be a lot of human beings. But we've just established that that's completely false. Jews and non-Jews are both equally important. We both have a mission. We both have a mission statement. And therefore, if a non-Jew comes to convert, we say, why do you want to convert? We need a baker in this world. We need a, someone who's going to go ahead and uh, be a teacher. Everyone has a job. And that was Rabbi Shusterman's answer. He says, fellow friend, there's really no reason. Be a good Gentile. Be a chassid. Be a... Look, the man didn't like that answer. And for many years, many years, he came nudging Rabbi Shustman. He said, Rabbi Shustman, I'd like to convert. Unfortunately, he got a dreaded sickness. And his last months were upon him. The rabbi or the man? This man. The man contacts Rabbi Shustman. He says, Rabbi Shustman, look, I'm about to die. I want to die a Jew. Convert me now. And Rabbi Shusterman says, You're an awesome person. There's really no reason. The man was very upset. And he inquired, Who is in charge of Rabbi Shusterman? Who could he try? Who could he talk to that? <laughs> and he got his answer. The Rebbe. And so this man writes a letter to the Rebbe. And he tells the Rebbe this story. He says, look, I want to convert. Rabbi Shutzman has given me a hard time. And the Rebbe responds. And he says, to Rabbi Shutzman, he says, this man should convert. And converting is going to make him a new person. And his sickness will go away. That means there is a change that happens in a person. There is a Jew, there is a non-Jew. And by giving this person a new reality, he'll have a new life. His, whole, his old life. The life of sickness will remove. And that's what happened. It's a documented story. You can look, look it up. It's an incredible story. But, so what we have established is there certainly is a difference. Oh, excuse me. Right? Please. He got well. Yes, again? yes, yes. I mean, now we're talking many years later, and I don't know where he is today, but uh, documented from the story was quite a few years. There is a difference between a Jew and a non-Jew. What is that difference? And the truth is, I wasted your time, because the second I asked the question, Liz, you weren't supposed to say the answer right away. You were supposed to give me a little time. <laughs> the, the, the answer is, like Liz said right away, that, that the Jew has a godly soul. Has what? A godly soul. The nefesh elikis. Until now we were discussing a soul that every human being has. And now we're saying that a Jew has a godly soul within him. <coughs> a non-Jew doesn't, which is what makes...
Fair enough. Fair enough. To repeat, Anandu is a great person. <coughs> and there's a re- there's, there's, that person similarly has a mission. But a Jew has a godly soul, which, by the way, comes with a big package. Comes with, it comes with thousands of mitzvot, 613 that are enumerated in the Torah. It comes with thousands of mitzvot. We have a higher standard, people are looking at us. And there's one thing that defines the godly soul. And that is to go back to my doctor. If I turn to Dr. Yosef, and I want to take Dr. Yosef out of the equation because I'm going to get a little personal. So Dr. Yosef, you're, you're canceled for tonight's class. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you go to a funeral home, I'll just give you a random example. You go to a funeral home and you tell them no one's dying here, they're not going to be so happy. Mm. Look, I, they understand they understand that they don't want people to die, but nonetheless, their, their business is in trouble. If you go to a therapist and you tell them that we have absolutely no need for you, your talent is not needed here, so they're not going to be so happy. Why? Because their trait has no value anymore. By the way, Dr. Yosef, I have to be clear with you. When Mashiach comes, I don't know, I, I don't know if we're going to need doctors. So uh, you may need to look for a new profession. You'll become a rabbi. <laughs> the, the godly soul allows someone to look past himself. The godly soul allows someone to completely ignore himself and look after someone else. Oftentimes, if we look in a... We, you'll see in a Jewish community, it's very tight-knit. And I can tell you as a principle in, in Maimonides, I'm dealing with a lot of issues because of this. You have everyone knows exactly what's going on in the other kid's life. I'm trying to deal with a fight between two kids and they're fighting. It's not very healthy as a teacher or principal. But, but, the, we're all interconnected. And we have the ability to look past ourselves and ignore ourselves. And that's something that is a divine gift. It's something to be treasured, and yet it's something that is, it's, it's way above our comprehension to be able to like completely ignore ourselves, put ourselves on the side. Are there any questions before we continue? Yes. Um, I don't understand what you said. A, a, hu- a human being wants to be recognized. Yeah. They want to feel appreciated. Yeah. And so, oftentimes, if you go to a therapist, the therapist is going to tell you, if you want to feel good, go and help someone else. Right. Have you done good by helping someone else? Yes. Have you done good to do good? No. Well, no. Yeah. Not in a deep sense. See, of course you've done good, but you haven't really done good to do good. You've done good for an ulterior motive. Oh, I see what you're saying. So to do good, purely for good, 
That means for not for any reason, whether it's to get a portion of the world to come, not even to connect to God, not to go ahead and become friends with anyone, not for nothing, to do good is something that the godly soul allows us to do. Okay. Well, I, I would just say that self-sacrifice is not just a Jewish property. I mean, there are a lot of people like Mother Teresa who, I mean, his whole life is right. self-sacrifice. So it, it bothers me a bit to say that, you know, that only Jews have godly souls. That's a famous question. Very valid question. You see today, the Palestinians, they have a lot of self-sacrifice. You see that, you see people in, I know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not kidding with you. You see they're willing, to, they'll, they'll kill, kill their, themselves for a cause. You see ISIS, they're killing themselves for a cause. It, it's the same question. Well, no, they think, not exactly. They think they're heaven. It's a different concept of something else. Okay, fine, let's put aside, let's put aside the Muslim, um, the, the, the radical Muslim thing. What about the case of the man who helped your grandfather? Did he, so, yeah, what about was, did, he, did he not have the ability to um, help just for the sake of doing good? There is nothing wrong, and that's why I start off the class, there is nothing wrong with doing something because you see someone in pain. Mr. Sugihara, he should be in heaven forever, he should be blessed in every, in every method, in every way. But even if I'm going to come and tell you that it, it was hard for him to see another human being in pain, which I'm sure it was, and he reached out to them, in a deep sense, there was an ulterior motive for him helping. Is there anything wrong with him? On the contrary, he's a blessed man. But I'm just sharing with you that to go to this deep method, the ultimate method of giving to someone for no reason whatsoever, that is something the godly soul allows. So is it fair to say that the idea of self-sacrifice doesn't even come into it? Well, and now, it doesn't really come into it, but just to quickly talk about it for a second, the, the simple answer to your question is that if someone has brought up their entire life being told that your only good, your only value here is such and such, you're told your only value in this world, I mean look, unfortunately if people are committing suicide because they're, they're being told they're worthless, you know, they feel that they have nothing to do in this world, are you going to go and say that that's self-sacrifice? No. When we talk about, you know, people that are giving up their lives for a cause, if that's the way they've been indoctrinated, that's not called self-sacrifice. That's called giving yourself up for a purpose. Self-sacrifice means giving yourself up for no purpose. A Jew that his entire life has been taught, do not give up your students that has been taught. If someone comes to murder you or, they're gonna, or they tell you to commit a sin, allow yourself to be killed, that's not real self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is what we're going to learn in chapter 18. When you go to a Jew who has no clue what Judaism is. He's never identified himself as a Jew. He's married to a non-Jew. He eats non-kosher. He, he hates Jewish people. If you would have spoken to him a day before, he'll tell you he hates every Jew. And they come to him and they say, will you bow down to the cross or die? He's going to say, I'm going to die. That is self-sacrifice. And that is something that's unique to a Jew. No, and, and please, you could challenge me. Right. 
Look, I'm, I'm happy for you to think, and, 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 and I'm very happy to be challenged. I'm not at all looking to uh, tell you what. I'm just sharing with you an insight. Yes? Please. If you go back to his example of Mother Teresa. Yeah. Now, let me just be honest with you. I don't know the details. So if there's a detail that I need to know you could share with me, I just was sharing with you a thought. I don't... I think Sorry, I just want to finish with Yosef, Tony, and then we'll go to Yeshua. Yes, Yosef. Does that imply that Mother Teresa didn't have... What? Does that imply that Mother Teresa didn't have a godly soul? I don't know who Mother Teresa is. The, the lady who... She, she was a nun. She was a nun. She's a person who gave, who gave birth to... She was a missionary. She would, no, she would do charity work. Oh, a random person. She's going to be made a saint a right now. A non-Jew, yes. Next month or she worked with the poor people. She's a Catholic. She worked with the poor people for years and years and years. So what is the but question at hand? That doesn't mean that she has a godly soul just no, because she did that. Certainly. Yeah. Well, yes. here's the part that I want to sort out. Please. <laughs> I think we have to be very careful with the words that we use. Please. Because when one says that Jews have a, only Jews have a godly soul, yes. then that implies the inverse that non-Jews have ungodly souls. Not at all. And I'm happy you clarify that. So, so I, I think what I think, what I'm struggling with yes. is if, if one makes a statement that Jews have godly souls, yeah. then what about non-Jews? What kind of a soul do they have? Yeah, Rabbi, I think this man right here is his godly than a lot of Jews. No, you know, Tony, if you'll allow me, I didn't want to get personal in any sense, but if, if, if it's already gotten personal, I'd like to get personal. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I'd like you to ask anything you'd like. Okay. Um, and I, I'm not embarrassed, meaning I'm everything we could discuss, everything is open. And I think that's one of the things that's unique about Judaism is that we have nothing to hide. <laughs> you know, before, before I, I take the question, and if anyone needs to leave at 9, I'll understand that, but I'd like to go over a little bit to clarify this point. Let me share with you why I brought up this topic. I didn't bring it up randomly. I brought it up to look at a quote in the Talmud. And that is what's, quoted, that's what's looked at in the Rambam. That's the next piece that, the, that Rabbi Shneir Zalman quotes. So let's just read three lines from the Talmud. Lines that are very, very difficult to understand, and with the introduction, I hope now you'll look at them with a whole new insight. Let's look at these three lines. Please turn, open up the tiny to page number six. Um, I did not forget your question, Yeshua, and I will directly answer it momentarily. Again, we're on page number six. For in the case of Israel, um, I'll wait until, no worries, I'll wait until everyone gets it. We're on page number six. We're, you know, and we're in page number one. No, we're, we're still in chapter number one. We're still okay. Let me, let me. I'll just go around to make sure we have it. For in the case of Israel, um, did you find it? We're over here. For in the case of Israel, you want to show Dr. Yosef? No, it's not in here. Um, I'll show you. I'll, no, no problem. Okay. For in the case of Israel, we'll be starting right there. For in the case of Israel. Found you found a fantastic end. Let me just give out here my shemendel. I'll take it back once you're, once you're done. Does anyone else want a copy? Do you want a copy, Liz? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're going to read out loud, of course. But 
right over here, four. Okay, um, y Yishai, please go ahead. Oh, sorry, here, we're right here. Four, four, right there. Oh, right you can here. read out loud. Read fast, meaning let's just cover till the end of the, of the chapter, please. Uh, for in the case of Israel, this soul of the Khalifa is derived from the Khalifa Noga, which also contains good as it originates in the esoteric tree of knowledge and good and evil. The souls of the nations of the world, however, emanate from the other, unclean Khalifa, which contain no good whatsoever, as it's written in Etz Chaim 49.3, that all the good that the nations do is done from selfish motives. So the Gemara comments on the verse, the kindness of the nations is sin, that all the charity and kindness done by the nations of the world is only for your own self-glorification. Okay, so when you see this, it looks threatening, and it looks very sharp. And first of all, to clarify, this is not, nothing to do with, we're not quoting Tanya here, we're quoting the Talmud. So this is not a Chabad issue, it is not a Hasidic issue, it is not an Orthodox issue, it is a Jewish issue. This is, this is a reality of what the Talmud says. And what does it, what does it mean? And that is, that is why I gave this introduction. The Talmud is not telling us that a non-Jew is not a good person. Not at all. The Talmud is telling us that there's no good. And good is what we've just established. That this feeling, I'm doing something for someone else, not because I enjoy it, not because the other person needs it, not because it's going to make me better, not because God's going to reward me, not because, I, not because anyone's going to reward me. I'm doing it because God said. Period. If you read it, if you'd read it naturally, it would be telling you that only Jewish people are good and everyone else... They're, they're horrible. That's not, at all, that's not at all what we're saying. We've established that a, that a non-Jew is a good person. We've established a non-Jew has a portion of the world to come. We've established a non-Jew has a, has a mission to serve God. We've established that a non-Jew should... There's no reason for a non-Jew to convert. If you'd come and tell me that a non-Jew is a bad person... So when a non-Jew comes, I'd say, you better convert right now, you're a horrible person. But that's not true. That's completely false. It's fabrication of the truth. The truth is that a Jew is a good person and a non-Jew is a good person, and we both have a mission. We both have a holy mission in this world. Has that been <coughs> clearly so expressed? What you're saying is, what's meant by Jews having a godly soul is... Jews have an element of good in them, and they live their lives not for their, not necessarily, primarily for their own self-gratification or for their own self-improvement or whatever, but because they were commanded to. And so, in a, in a, in a sense. Uh, the bar is just set differently for Jews than it is for, for non-Jews. Not set higher, not set lower. But when, when you get down to it, for Jews, it's because it's, we were commanded. And now, and now it's your job to follow the commandments as best as you can. But for a non-Jew, um, there's you know, there's only one way to go up, 
and 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 while the words self gratification may you know perhaps there could be other you might say the mother Teresas of the world are the mother Teresas of the world because they choose to do good and they know what good is and they know it's the right path to follow and they like what they like the they see the the benefits of their sacrifice. Yes. And, and, uh, yes. 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 Yeah. You know. Yes, Sakyos. Yes. Um, it, could I hold off with questions? I'd like. In the end, both can accomplish the same things in life, but perhaps for slightly different. So I'd like to say a few points, and then I'll take all questions. Point number one. As we're going to learn, or let's before we go to point, point number one, let's say point pre-number one. The reality is, God calls us His chosen nation. I once had an argument with someone, and he said, it's, it's mean, it's abusive. I, I don't know what to tell you. I just know that, Atta v'chartan mikol ha'amin. We are the chosen nation. That's what God told us. We can't say we're not. That's A. So to come and say that there's no difference is not true. B, as we're going to learn, the Jew's connection to God is a deeper connection we have the ability to really become one with God. Two points I want to share. Now, I want to specifically talk about the, the non-Jew and his soul. With your permission, Tony. If there's no godliness in a non-Jew, he's not going to exist. Everything in the world has to have godliness. So for someone to come and say that a non-Jew doesn't have God inside of him, again, he's a liar. Everything in this world is God. If there's no God, there's no existence. So, of course, a non-Jew has God within him. It's a matter of how revealed that God is within him. It's a matter of the connection that could be accomplished with, that, with the God within him. But, of course, there is God within every human being, within every person. Did I, did I clarify that point? feel there's a lot of tension in the room. <laughs> Dr. Yosef, what's your question? Well, I think um, there is a point